everyone, David here from Foresight. This is episode six of Talking Transitions, our new podcast series with EY. If you've missed any of the previous five episodes, make sure you go back and listen to them first so you can get the full picture of the various transitions we're touching on. This episode was again recorded in front of an audience at the COP28 Summit in Dubai on the afternoon of day six of the summit. Please enjoy the show and leave your feedback on the website or on social media. Use the hashtag TalkingTransitions, all one word, to join the conversation. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this special episode of Talking Transitions, the podcast from Foresight Climate and Energy and EY. Uh, In this series of podcasts, we're delving into the hosts of transitions that are required in order to develop a sustainable economy. We're tackling three key areas and how they are facing up to their own unique set of challenges, the energy and resources industry, the financial services sector and government. My name is David Weston. I'm editor-in-chief at Foresight and guiding me through the series will be key EY thought leaders from the three different areas. In today's episode, being recorded in the Green Zone at COP28 in Dubai, I'm joined by Greg Cuthridge, EY's Global Energy and Resources Customer Experience Transformation Leader. Hi, Greg. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. For this session, we want to examine the role of consumers and end users in the energy transition and how they are, or indeed are not, being proactive in this space. 70% of The benefits of the energy transition depend on consumer action, yet only 30% are engaged. Key barriers including affordability, equity, accessibility, and broader value proposition impacts the success of the energy transition. The energy ecosystem needs to address these barriers and engage with consumers to transform their experience. Joining me and Greg today are Charlotte Johnson, Global Head of Markets at Kraken Technologies, part of UK-based utility Octopus Energy Group, Killian O'Donoghue, Policy Director for Trade Association Euroelectric, and Megat Jalaluddin Megat Hassan, Chief Operating Officer at Malaysian Utility TNB. Please welcome our panel. Greg, I'd like to briefly start with you. Where do we now stand then when it comes to consumers in the energy transition? And surely with the conversations like we're having today and all the other conversations around COP this week, consumers must now be engaged in their own transition. Uh, David, thank you very much. And uh, I want to thank the panel and, uh, and our guests today for, for joining us. You opened with the, the statistic of 70% of the benefits of the energy transition are dependent on consumers, either changing their lifestyle or their business practices, yet only 30% are engaging. And this is after many, many years of, of uh, trying to, to kind of move along those consumers. And what's interesting is if you walk the halls of, of COP, you'll see a lot of focus on the supply side mm. of the equation. But are we paying enough attention to the demand side? How are we going to move customers? And what's interesting when you think about this, uh, the complexity here is phenomenal. Not only do we have to move a vast, very complex set of consumers, but they really fall into three kinds of categories. You have the the, the consumers that, that moved first, the enthusiasts and the champions, they moved right away and, or, or they're very engaged. But the rest of the consumers, the other 70%, fall into two categories. They're either vulnerable or they're, or they're frankly, they're skeptical of the, of the energy transition. Mm. And so how are we as a, as a collective group going to move the cheese mm. of those consumers through the, the energy transition? And, you know, we talk about the energy transition, uh, you know, Surge this morning talked about it as a, the decade of disruption. Sure. We have one decade to do a generation of change. Let's think about that for a moment. It usually takes an entire generation to move customers, and we're going to try to do it in the most, the most hyper-aggressive way possible. And I think 
that's, that's really important as we think about this. One of the challenges that we have is that much of the focus, and we've heard this in different panels and different discussions, is this idea that if we build it, they will come. We'll just build the infrastructure, we'll give people price signals, and they'll just suddenly start to adopt uh, different lifestyle or business changes. That's not our understanding really of consumer behavior. Either they can't or they won't, unless there's other buyer values involved. So it's how do we move the value proposition beyond just simply a focus on maybe a price signal or access to certain data to a more sophisticated value proposition that includes everything from equity, affordability, accessibility, convenience, control, all the other creature comforts that that really do move uh, the vast majority of customers. This is the challenge that we have over the next decade. And if, if we think it's difficult to put in place all the infrastructure and the policy and procedure, now comes the tough part. To, just to, to, to put a little emphasis on that, in our EY research that we do each year on the consumer, we're in our third year, we scan over 20 different countries, over well over 100,000 consumers. And one thing stands out, and that is that we're, we're hitting a bit of a tipping point here, uh, this inertia that might be building up. Consumers say they're interested in, in, in the environment and in changing their lifestyle, but they're not moving. They're not actually acting right. on that. And that is a very big challenge that we're going to have to face. So I think uh, the, the challenge for us on the panel today is to talk about how do we get the basics right? Because the basics still matter. But how do we then incubate new, new capabilities and ultimately create an ecosystem where, where uh, we can really ener- energize a very complex customer base. Absolutely. Um, Charlotte, from your experience, are customers open to playing an active role in energy use and reducing their energy use? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And thank you, Greg, for, uh, for addressing the kind of enthusiasts that we see. So I think for us at Octopus and Kraken, the biggest role for the consumer is really automation because Greg kind of explained you have these people that are super keen to to do something that they may be techie. So they might want to integrate with an API. Um, They might want to schedule when their cars charge or when to turn on their dishwasher. So in the UK, we had a tariff called the Agile Tariff, which essentially matched the wholesale price. Um, So the day ahead wholesale price. So it changed every 30 minutes, so 48 times a day. And it was the really kind of... um, geeky tech people that that would get involved with that. And it works really well, but that's the minority of the population. So it's like you talked about, how do you get people that don't have that capability and don't understand it to bring them on the journey of the energy transition? And when it comes to that, it's automation. It's having a super simple um, value proposition to the customer that's very easy to understand. And that's how we found people participating. So we've we've now done um we've done programs where customers can be rewarded to either turn up turn up and use more electricity or turn down electricity and be rewarded and both of those things are delivered and packaged in a way that's super simple to understand whether it's a point based system whether it's incentives to get um to get a voucher for coffee whether whether it's even just something where we put money into a fund that then goes to a charity mm. it's not always a tangible benefit it's not always a monetary reward there's a lot of people that are really excited just to be part of a wider initiative and you have to ensure that the products that you're putting out there meet the needs of everyone and not just kind of the minority. So do you think we have the tools available in order to achieve that? And is there a a worry that perhaps 
that feeling of being involved in doing something and reducing my energy because of the climate change that that might wear out? So I think we we didn't a few years ago. I, I would definitely agree with you there. National Grid has come a long way with reforming the electricity markets and actually allowing price signals that the consumers don't necessarily need to be exposed to, but suppliers are. And then suppliers can decide how they package that really difficult big data problem and back-end issue in a really simple value proposition to the customer. So last year, National Grid launched a demand flexibility service, which essentially paid customers to turn down electricity instead of running coal plants. And this year, they've no longer um, contracted with coal plants to, to run that service. And instead, they will call upon this demand flexibility service much more frequently than they did the year before. So yep. the markets are evolving and allowing suppliers to then pass on that benefit to customers. Absolutely. Um, Mega, what sort of new approaches are utilities taking to engage with consumers um, as opposed to the traditional passive relationship of provider and end user? Uh, thank you very much, uh, David. Uh, so just to let everybody know, uh, Tanaga National is an integrated uh, power to the company in Malaysia, meaning that uh, we are involved in the whole value chain uh, coming from generation of electricity. We also own the grid uh, and the transmission and distribution network. And we do have uh, uh, a large customer base. Uh, our customer base is about uh, 10 million customers uh, as of today. So on the uh, so we think that we have a good opportunity to actually play a number of uh, strategies uh, within the, the the pillar of generation uh, the the grid as well as customer. So what has happened uh, in the last couple of years? Uh, we on the customer front, uh, we basically go back to the basic. Uh, we do a market research and survey among the ten million of our customers trying to identify and find the values and need of the customers. So what happened is that uh, after the market research and survey, uh, we, we found that there are basically six top value and needs of the Malaysian customers. Uh, uh, it it, it comes from the basic of uh, security and reliability of supply. Uh, some customers uh, would like to have the convenience. Uh, some are actually uh, having a good sense of uh, green uh, consigns within themselves. Uh, there are also customers who like to be a trendsetter in the sense that hey, they want to adopt the green because it sets a trend. And uh, the, the last one, the sixth, uh, is actually the customers are also willing to actually participate and asking the utility whether they can be part of the whole uh, industry and generate income for themselves. So from there on, we have the six so-called top uh, priorities of the customers, values and needs. So we start to look at uh, a number of uh, so-called product and solution for the customers. And uh, from there, uh, there are a number of uh, product that we identify that could be very meaningful to meet the values and needs of the customers. So one of it is uh, that the customer, because of the traditional passive relationship in the past uh, of the power uh, power companies, uh, the customers uh, first and foremost has a lack of information or insight with respect to the power industry and the consumption of electricity. Right. So for us, the first step is actually to provide the customer the information and the insight so that they can manage and understand how they consume electricity and what they can do so that the behavior uh, can change. Mm. So that, that is the first part. 
Uh, second, we also embark on the uh, technology solution. Uh, we start to install um, smart meters right. uh, to the customers. So smart meters also provide the uh, uh, more data to the customers. Mm -hmm. uh, so it actually helped the insight as well. And to date, we have, uh, I think, installed about 3 million of, out of 10 million uh, uh, customers. Uh, but we started with the B2B customers right. because that's where the, the, the biggest value creation that we can start. So smart meters, a technology solution, provide the customers. The third one, to, uh, on the value of income generation, uh, we, we find the customers uh, because, again, Technology provide the um, opportunity for the customers to generate power themselves. Mm -hmm. And Malaysia is blessed with uh, uh, solar energy. Uh, so we start offering the customer uh, to install a solar on their rooftop. Right. With uh, what we call a zero capex solutions. Meaning that the customer doesn't have to invest first. But we profit share the, 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 the revenue and the, the PAT. So that also provide uh, an avenue for the customers to participate in this uh, so-called uh, climate agenda mm -hmm. and they also can uh, generate income. And so those are some of the solutions that uh, has been put to the market. And uh, on top of that, uh, with respect to the customer interactions, uh, we also uh, embark on uh, what we call an omni-channel uh, interaction with the customers. Sure. Uh, we call it 3C. Uh, click, call, and come over. Click means uh, we actually introduce a lot of uh, internet, Facebook uh, communication. Yep. Um, call is our call center. And come over because we still have uh, the physical uh, stores right. uh, throughout the country. Sure. So that make the, I would say, the engagement uh, with the customer uh, better competitively. And are you seeing in recent years more customers willing to be involved and, and taking advantage of that ability to interact with you? Yeah, I think uh, they see the, the positivity of those. Right. Uh, and we can see the behavioral change, mm. uh, especially with respect to the value of the cost saving. Uh, so the information that you decide provide the cost saving. Right. And uh, COVID-19 is a, a silver lining with respect to customer participation. Uh, because during COVID-19, the cost of electricity uh, went skyrocketing. Yeah. So everybody is very much interested to say, hey, how can I reduce my uh, consumption and so forth? So again, providing the formation with some uh, technology uh, uh, investment right. uh, provide those uh, values to the customers. Yeah. Greg, is that something you've seen in, in your research? You mentioned you've been kind of looking at behaviors over the last three years or so. What trends are you seeing uh, among the consumers in recent years and has the pandemic, uh, as Magat suggested, and the energy crisis uh, of last year really changed that at all? Has that moved the dial at all? It has. It has a, it's had a, a huge impact in a couple of areas. The first is that um, the one lasting benefit, if you can say that, of, 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 the, of the pandemic is that it pushed a lot more customers comfortably to use digital channels. And... That opens up all kinds of automation and set and forget and, and technology, flexibility technologies that a vast majority of customers are a lot more interested in and much more comfortable using. That was number one. Number two, which is not a positive, is that we have the highest percentage of consumers globally in energy poverty right now. Over 20% of consumers 
globally are actually in, in energy poverty as a, as a measure of their overall household budget. So they're really struggling. And so they, that is pushing them to think about different options. Now their options are limited and the energy transition so far has not been equitable, has not been accessible, and it's not been affordable. So we have a long ways to go in order to appeal to and really help those customers who are either vulnerable or skeptical really move, move, sure. move along. So we've spoken about some of the tools that are available to these consumers, and yet still 70% are either unwilling or unable to take part in that. How do we access those people and how do we take them along on this journey? You know, the sad reality is that sustainability messaging only really resonates with a very small percentage of customers. We actually have to make sure that the value proposition that we as an industry are presenting to customers actually appeals to creature comforts, right? Uh, safety, convenience, control, comfort, all the things that other industries are very, very sophisticated in. We need to do that. A price signal and an environmental message is not going to appeal to the vast majority of customers. It's a sad fact. Yeah. So in order for us to really move uh, through this transition in a decade, what usually would take an entire generation, we're going to have to be enormously sophisticated in the customer messaging that we have. Octopus are obviously very innovative when it comes to that messaging. How are you guys approaching this and trying to reach those people? I think it really comes down to the customer experience. So, so one thing that we do at Octopus or at Kraken is we have a product called SmartFlex, which we ask the customer for their preferences, which I don't think any utility has ever done to say, what temperature do you want your home at? When do you want your car charged by and by what state of charge? So we're asking the customer to give us a list of information of what they want. And then we put that into our optimization and package it into a value proposition to give back to them. And that has, a, has had a massive impact. So we launched this about 18 months ago and started off with you know a few hundred people on this tariff. Now over 130,000 cars are being optimized by Kraken in an automated fashion, but all around and all whilst respecting the customer's preferences and the customer's comfort levels and the customer's needs. And I think that's massively helped this exponential growth that we've seen in that product. Likewise, in, in other parts of, of Kraken, we've done trials with demand turndown and demand turn up. We've had 18 months ago, around 200,000 customers on those tariffs. Today, we have over a million people subscribed in the UK. Right. Can I, I just wanted to pile on to something that you said earlier, because I think part of your secret sauce has been it's you've got to create a very simple, very low effort proposition for customers. If there's too much effort required or if it's too complicated, people people tend to back away. And I think one of the things that, that you've done very well is you've made it very simple for people to understand the value proposition and how they interact. Yeah, I think simple value proposition, simple to onboard, simple for the customer to understand, and obviously simple in terms of reward. Uh, so Killian, people want to take part in the energy transition, want to be involved here. How do we reach them? What, what tools are available, maybe from a policy side of things, that can really help that? Thanks, David. And uh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm Killian O'Donoghue. I'm the policy director at Euroelectric. So we're the European Electricity Association, and we represent the full value chain. So we have generation all the way down to supply. And with that, I think we bring kind of a, a holistic perspective. And one thing I would say is we agree with the assertion at the beginning that 70% depends on customer engagement. So that we fully agree on that. 
The reason is pretty simple. We see a future dominated by intermittent renewables, wind and solar, and we need active customers for that. So how do we get customers engaged? Uh, we did a big report about three years ago now, kind of 15 pledges to customers, and we segment them into three categories, okay? You have those which are not aware, those which are not financially able, and those that simply simply don't care. And the action you take depends on which customer segment we're talking about. So if you're talking about not aware, that's about public awareness campaigns. I think they need to be pushed. In Europe, we have good examples from the energy crisis last year where we had very high prices and consumers reacted. That was a good, good example. For those which, yeah, financially it's difficult, we need to give solutions. Um, as we electrify the economy, so heat pumps, electric vehicles, etc., the upfront costs are very high. So we need to provide financial support. So we, I would fully agree with Greg there. And for those who um, are simply not interested, we generally say we need to appeal to their, their conscious, their sense of kind of public giving. And so that's kind of what we would propose. And um, just one other thing I would add is uh, a prerequisite to all this is to have smart meters. And I think uh, Megat said they have 3 million, which I think is maybe 30% in Europe. Our, our, smart me- our smart meter rollout is 54%. It should be 100, it's 54 and that's something we need to improve upon. And uh, particularly in some big, large member states, we need to promote more smart meters. Why? Well, it's pretty simple. I think the more information you have, the better your decisions are. And, you know, we've talked about uh, EVs. So when you use EV, you need to have that information. A smart meters is fundamental to all that. So to have more engaged customers, smart meters are a, a prerequisite. And I, I'd like to just... Uh, pile on a little bit with the with your last comment about uh, data and the and the value of data. One of the one of the big challenges that we have is uh, as an industry we talk about the value of data in terms of driving customer experience, but the vast majority of utilities globally have the most basic customer data you can imagine. So we have a long ways to go if we as an industry are going to take that data and actually make it useful. Almost every utility today really only tracks one and only one person at the premise. That's it. I always find it rather entertaining when people talk about the, the, the richness of their customer data, when in fact, it's not very rich at all. So we have a long ways to go before we, we really have very sophisticated insight into our customers. Yeah. Megat, maybe we can bring it. What role can digitalization play? We've got all these amazing digital products that are being developed. Are we using them enough, utilizing them enough um, to help consumers make these decisions? Yeah, I think uh, Greg pointed it out that uh, uh, utilities like uh, Tanaga is is blessed with uh, a lot of data. Uh, probably the, the question for us is actually how do we uh, monetize those data uh, so that it will provide the benefit uh, towards the uh, climate action as well as the business uh, growth uh, for the company. So looking at uh, Tanaga Nationals, uh, we understand that uh, data digitalization, which is data and connectivity is, is very important. And uh, we have uh, embarked on the, on trying to use this channel uh, so that data are connected to the customers. So in, in that sense, uh, we have developed uh, what we call uh, an apps. Uh, it is called Mighty MB Apps, mm-hmm. and the design of the Mighty MB Apps is based on the customer journey, meaning that that should be the one-stop apps uh, for the uh, for for the customer. 
So we designed it right from the uh, I discover for the customer, uh, I join, I use, I pay, I transfer, or I exit. I think the whole value uh, of the customer journey were embedded in 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 uh, my TMB apps, mm. and uh, and we have seen the response from the customers uh, are quite good. Yeah, I think it's uh, today we have about six. Close to seven million of our customers are actually using the apps. Okay. Uh, out of the 10, uh, 10 million that we have, and of course, again, uh, COVID nineteen play a good role there, uh, because everybody was uh, sitting inside the the house. Uh, they can monitor their couple with the smart meters. Uh, they can monitor their consumption at that time, and they also can do uh, payment uh, throughout the apps, and uh, it provide a good uh, ensuring the cash flow for for. Uh, for the company because at the time uh, most of our physical channel are closed uh, so it provide a good uh, traction with respect to the customer adopting to the to the apps and we have also introduced uh, uh, many features inside that based on the journey uh, for example uh, in the i use segment we have this what we call energy budget uh, which provide the customer um, the empower the customer to actually set the uh, expected consumption that they, they actually uh, want to use electricity and there is a push uh, notification uh, giving them the advice with respect to energy efficiency, giving the advice uh, whether they should turn the aircon uh, for how many hours and so forth so that there will be the budget. Right. So I think it has been uh, quite a successful uh, uh, customer engagement right. and behavioral change uh, when we introduce that. Mm. Uh, on top of the, uh, uh, for example, now, on top of uh, the billing itself, uh, we no longer use uh, paper bills. No. It is all uh, on the digital channel is available. And in terms of the payment, uh, we have now 70% of our payment are actually digital payment mm. uh, rather than physical. Is having access to this data making a difference though? Is it helping these consumers change their behaviors? Um, do they know what this all of this data means for them and their bill? And does it mean they, they can look at other providers providing cheaper electricity, cleaner electricity? Does it mean they're happy to install EVs now they've got this data? Is the data enough for them to change their behaviors? Yeah, we, uh, we think so. And uh, if you look at the uh, data that we provide, uh, uh, there are a number of our customers now uh, using the apps uh, to actually... Uh, put uh, a comparative um, measurement with respect to using an EV compared to uh, the ICE car, uh, which basically provide uh, a good saving for the customers uh, comparatively uh, with respect to the kilometer runs uh, yeah. uh, uh, for the car. So I think uh, it has uh, developed uh, into into that perspective. It also provide the customer to say, yeah, I want to install my uh, on my rooftop the the, the solar panels. Sure. I want to use my EV, uh, so that encourage the whole uh, ecosystem with respect to to the apps. Do you, would you agree on is access to data the key to unlocking the frozen middle? Well, I love that you called it the frozen middle because it's I borrow a, your phrase, yeah. of course. <laughs> uh, the data is part of it, but it's also understanding the behavioral science that sits behind this. How do you get people to, to truly mm. lastingly change? And what's interesting is what we found is that even customers who adopt or who are early adopters of, of different energy products and services sometimes fall back. 
to their old ways. They carry around with themselves an eco piggy bank in their head where they, they do good things for the environment and then they deduct things away. And that's not sustainable. We have to actually not only get people to change their behavior, change their lifestyle, change their business practices, but then stay with that. The trick is to make it simple, is to take away the complexity. The other trick is you mentioned onboarding, and I, I, went, I wanted to highlight one huge challenge that we have, and it's not really necessarily related to the data, but rather the business process. Okay. And that is... Uh, customers who, who want rooftop solar or a, a, a electric vehicle infrastructure or a heat pump or whatever it might be today in most utilities, they are subjected to the most complicated business process you can imagine. Four months, 11 interactions just to activate these new products and services. The lowest customer satisfaction of any product and service. This is no way to make it simple and easy for customers to adopt at scale these products and services. We've made it very, very complicated at the moment. Right. Yeah, uh, maybe uh, I think that's where uh, digitalization play a, uh, a role. Okay. And uh, when we design my TMB apps, uh, we say that, okay, the max is three clicks. That's it. Anything beyond three clicks, I think the customer will go away. So so that's uh, the simplicity that uh, yeah. we are looking at. Is the... Is the pace of change that we need to make among consumers um, a barrier to this? Are they sort of scared into doing nothing by the enormity of the challenge facing them? So I, th I think the pace of change is really driven by how quickly people take up EVs or heat pumps. Mm. And I think on the EV side, in most countries, EVs are cheaper to run than a petrol or diesel car. So we're seeing the, the adoption of EVs kind of increase exponentially. Once you buy an EV, it's almost a no-brainer to go on a tariff that rewards you for flexibility or for giving up control. So I think on the EV side, it's quite straightforward. When it comes to heat pumps, it's slightly more challenging because the cost of heat pumps, I think, I think like you said earlier, they're, they're still expensive. In the UK, we're getting to a better point now where the costs have come down. There's obviously a subsidy and they're cheaper or at least cost comparative with a gas boiler. So we should start to see more heat pumps come onto the system. But I still think the challenges. So, so yeah, first thing is once you get one of those assets, you tend to go on to a tariff that is beneficial for having those assets. Sure. But I still think there are blockers when it comes to the pace of change. And we talked about the value proposition, super simple, super simple customer experience. The other thing is the technology that energy suppliers have. So a lot of them, the tech, tech architecture is super archaic. And it makes it really, really difficult to spin out kind of innovative tariffs on a daily basis if your technology or your billing system doesn't allow you to do something. So I think you've got that on the supply side. And then if you move over to actually just the network infrastructure that we have in place, mm -hmm. we have a big, big challenge with our distribution networks. Sure. The load growth that we're going to see when you get an EV or when you get a heat pump, your electricity demand is suddenly going to double overnight. And our distribution networks have to then manage a system with a doubling electricity demand, which they don't necessarily have the capacity to do. They don't necessarily have the toolkit to be able to do it. And then on top of that, they don't necessarily have the visibility. Only like 5% of the distribution network is monitored. So there's the digitalization piece of energy suppliers, customers, and also the actual network infrastructure itself that we've got to get to. Yeah. Killian, maybe I can bring you there on, on sort of that, that network point. Is the is the grid able to? I don't want it to make. I don't want this to become a, a grid conversation at all. But just briefly, as we as it was mentioned, how important is the developing the distribution grid in order to help consumers access these tools? 
Yeah. And so I would fully agree with Charlotte. I think we need to invest very heavily in the, in the grid. And thankfully that discussion is happening now and it wasn't for a long time. So my association for a long time, we're pushing for two things, faster permitting and investments in grids. And grids was really on the back burner. But since, I think since February, The Economist had this uh, special saying, uh, hug pylons, not trees. Yep. And since then, there's been a kind of a big focus on the infrastructure. And as Charlotte said, huge amount of investment needs to take place at DSO, so district system operation level, because 80% of renewables is connected at DSO level. So that's something we've been pushing for for a long time. I don't want to speak too Eurocentric, but last week in Europe, we came with this grids action plan. And that's how do we modernize and update the grid? And, you know, we need to modernize it, update it, digitalize it. We're looking at maybe 425 billion euros for a whole new infrastructure plan. And that's that's just what we need to do in the transition. It's a, it's a good investment. And I think just, just really quickly Please. on that point. So it's not just building out the grid. It's also using the assets efficiently. So 100%, we need new investment in the transmission and distribution network. But also these assets that are going to be the problem can also be part of the solution and they can help us obviously orchestrate, you know, when to, when to consume, when to generate electricity. I'd like to open up to the floor if possible. So please do, uh, if you have any questions for the panel, please do have a think of that. I've got a couple more questions first, though. I want to touch on low income households and people that just they're using, you know, 50, 60 percent of their income is going on bills. Food prices are all time high. In you know, interest rates are all time high. Mortgage rates are going up. How do we get to those people that simply don't have any additional capital to invest in their energy infrastructure? Well, I can start because uh, I actually want to redefine the question because okay. we, we we talk about low income, but you you we use the term vulnerability. Sure. And actually, you can even expand that further uh, because there's an entire segment of the customer base that has no access and no, no ability to really benefit from the energy transition. They don't have a rooftop, a car or a garage. They don't have the right income and they're being left behind. And so when we think about this vulnerable category, which actually is almost a third of all consumers globally, we have a big challenge. We have to think about how do we, how do we appeal to them, their, their energy sensitivity, their pricing sensitivity, but also how do we give them access to the same kind of tools and technologies and capabilities that, that you know, the, 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 the champions and enthusiasts already benefit from. We see that already happening. And I think it comes down to everything from policy, su subsidies, support of these, 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 uh, these organizations and these, these customers. The other thing I'll highlight is that uh, one of the other impacts of, the, of COVID was that a lot more people are working from home. And as a result, a lot more people are energy sensitive than they ever have been in the past. So reliability is actually more important than ever because more people are dependent on it than they've been in the past. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, to add to what uh, Gray is uh, mentioning, uh, I think there are probably uh, a number of uh, um, items that uh, can help those uh, vulnerable customers. Uh, definitely uh, regulations and uh, subsidies are still required to ensure that we have uh, a just energy transition that will cover the whole spectrum of the society. Uh, so we believe that uh, subsidy will have to be in place for those uh, that are very vulnerable. 
and and second uh, is uh, probably looking at their their own consumption how can they actually play a role uh, with respect to this uh, climate action uh, objective and one of the element uh, or item that has been put forward uh, at least in Malaysia is that uh, uh, the uh, there is a, a, a rebate for customers who actually uh, buy especially the beef, the, the vulnerable customers who buy uh, an efficient um, electrical system. For example, we have the five-star aircon, then they get a rebate uh, so that you know it will help them to be part of the whole uh, energy transition. So rebates, uh, subsidies. And uh, beyond that, uh, beyond that, uh, what some of the interventions that happen is that uh, to uh, provide the employment, uh, uh, for those who are coming from the uh, vulnerables, and uh, Tenaga National, as uh, because we are, we are publicly listed company, uh, but we are also owned partly by the government. Uh, we always play this uh, so-called um, social responsibility uh, aspect. Mm-hmm. So we do uh, cater for a, a, a training scheme, the vocational training scheme, for those uh, vulnerable group as part of our corporate academy. So we do take intakes of uh, from the uh, vulnerable groups of the society mm. uh, to provide them the skill set so then they can participate in, for example, uh, installing the solar rooftop yeah. uh, and also installing the EV charger or making the uh, energy become more efficient uh, for the building. So that's another aspect that uh, currently we are we are embarking. Killian, uh, from a policy and regulation point of view, what role can that play in supporting vulnerable households, low-income households, and are there any sort of good practices we've seen in Europe recently to help those people? Yeah, so a couple of things. I think from the, the policy side, it's very important to distinguish between kind of social policy and, and markets. And by and large, we think market-based solutions are the best way. Even in that situation, there's certain customers which fall into the vulnerable category. And the best way to deal with them is through good social policy. That's what we see. But when policymakers tend to kind of mix the two, it doesn't doesn't work so well. And in terms of getting consumers to reduce their their use, I think one good example is what we've seen in Europe last year with the energy crisis. I remember I was in COP last year and people were very, very worried about Europe going into the winter. And we set two targets. We said on the gas side, we would reduce consumption by 15%. On on the electricity side, we reduce it by 10% and 5% in peak hours. At the time, people thought this would not be possible. We wouldn't achieve it, but we did, and we actually overachieved it. So on gas, we reduced gas usage by 19% last, last winter, and on electricity, we hit our, hit our targets. So I think that that's a good example. What you had was you had EU regulation, and then every member state had their own campaign that like beat the, key, uh, beat the peak, reduce your use. They always rhymed, but they, they, had, they had different different ones. And just last thing I would say is what was interesting as well last year was um, if you look at the, the top downloaded apps, something which Megat mentioned, at the time of the energy crisis, particularly in the Nordics, mm. where there's a pretty high digital literacy, particularly in Estonia, I think the top five apps at one stage were all linked to energy, you know, because they were linked to spot prices and then they had the highest incentive. So I think... The crisis was maybe a bit too hard and it hit consumers too much, but there was some benefits and we did see much more engaged consumers as a result. Mm. And what about the role of energy efficiency? You touched on it there. 
Um, we've been talking about adding heat pumps and EVs and helping these people access these tools. What about the role of energy efficiency, better buildings for energy use? How can, how can that help, especially vulnerable communities? Yeah, so energy efficiency is essential. Um, to be frank, it's not very sexy. Yeah, so even here in COP, we have triple renewables and double down to energy efficiency. And all anyone's talking about is tripling renewables because it, it, it's more sexy. It's a, it's a better sell. But energy efficiency is essential. Mm. And particularly, if you break down emissions, 70% in three, three sectors, buildings, transport, and industry, and buildings is the highest sector. Mm. And there's a huge potential of energy efficiency in buildings. That's really where we need to concentrate on. We need to install heat pumps. Mm -hmm. And secondly, we need more efficient buildings because we waste so much energy in this sector. So I think that should be the big focus. And just last thing I would say on that is it's a tricky one with the customer. We see in UK, we see in Germany, there's rolling backs, rolling back because we're saying, okay, replace your gas boiler, put in a heat pump. It's easy for people like me, lobbyists in Brussels say, do it when you're a politician and then you have to do it in households and it costs money. It's a bit trickier. So if I can be, if I can be self-critical, I would say as an industry, we need to do better communication there to sure. kind of improve the, the building stock in, in society. I thought I would add one thing, energy efficiency and that eco piggy bank that I was talking about earlier. When we think about the mass market residential customers, uh, just to highlight just how irrational some of this is. Um, today, if you go out and you're, you, 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 you shop for a new uh, refrigerator, you may actually pick a refrigerator that's very high energy efficiency. You're very proud of yourself. Uh, you'll install that refrigerator, the old refrigerator, and you'll not dispose of it or recycle it or get it out of the supply chain, but instead it'll end up in your garage full of beer. Yeah. So you've actually done nothing to improve the, your, your overall experience. And we all know what I'm talking about there. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. Right. So this is, this highlights the irrational aspect of this, which is not only do we need people to adopt energy efficiency, but they need to actually get things out of the, of the, of the, of the value chain. And it's getting it out of the value chain that's actually a whole lot more difficult uh, with, with, uh, with the way people sure. think about this. The role of utilities in energy efficiency. How can utilities help households and consumers improve their energy efficiency rather than merely just sh switching to heat pumps and EVs? Yeah, I think uh, I tend to agree that the energy efficiency market is the one that is uh, an untapped market. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are now uh, trying to create a mantra uh, such way that uh, we say that EE before RE or EE together mm -hmm. with RE, yeah. which I think uh, probably made a lot of sense. Uh, and uh, in, in that uh, role utility, what uh, we are doing at the moment is actually to use technology. Uh, for example, to, we have now for get a few customers to actually uh, implement the virtual energy manager and putting some sensors in the, in the buildings. Uh, to ensure that uh, we have the best efficient uh, utilization to, of, of, of electricity. And I think the, the challenge uh, with a country like Malaysia is uh, exactly the opposite of the UK. Sure. We have to reduce the aircon rather than, you know, whether you are talking about heat. So that is where I think the, uh, the utility can play a role. And we are starting to play a role. And I, I, I believe uh, uh, a new business model need to come to the market uh, with respect to uh, how best we uh, get the customer to be involved 
And one of the business model that uh, we were thinking is actually a uh, profit sharing with respect to the so-called the saving or deficiency that, that we got. It seems to get some traction to the customers, but we are again at the very early stage of, of this uh, AE journey. Anything to add from Octopus on energy efficiency? Are you Is that something you're considering as a, as a value proposition? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think the biggest kind of catalyst is often when people get heat pumps triggers you to start to think about it. Yeah. But I think in general, overall, in the UK market or the UK context, at least, yeah. it's been massively overlooked. Okay, thank you. Uh, let's uh, open it up to the audience then. I know there was a, a comment right here on the, on the second level. Hi, I'm really interested to hear about the parallels between the energy market and climate change policy in general. Because I think a lot of this is like, if we could figure out how to drive the renewables and the energy efficiency, and then say, this is part of a policy, broader policy for climate change. Do you guys think that's a good thing to do? Or is it a bad thing? I mean, depending on who's in power or... What are your thoughts about that? So can you specify just a little bit more? Are you saying renewable targets or what exactly? Are- I just mean about how to get the population. You have the, the frozen middle, yeah. right? So those are the same people who are not, don't understand climate change and who are, don't know who to vote for and don't understand the policies and are basically, you know, so you have a little group who hate, who thinks climate change is, you know, like, Hoax. Totally hoax. Mm-hmm. And then there's the rest of the people who are like, duh, it's hotter, obviously, mm-hmm. but they don't understand the policy. And this is the same thing you guys have been talking about all this time, mm-hmm. right? You, Your energy bill is high, but you don't know what to do about it. You don't know how to fix it. You don't know what, you know... Do I have $50,000 to re-insulate you know, insulate my roof? Well, no. So maybe I'll just... I don't know. Sure. What can I do? Right. So it's very, very hard to understand all yeah. these issues. Yeah. It's complex. Yeah, I think the, definitely the, uh, that is the, the, the challenge that we have today. And uh, what is, uh, to me, uh, I can see is that we are leading to quite a convergence with respect to uh, policy-driven uh, behavior uh, of the customers. And uh, in Malaysia, we can see that, uh, uh, in fact, last month, the government introduced the Act uh, uh, Conservation of Energy with uh, a good incentive for customers to participate. So I think that provides the link, I think the missing link today, uh, because of the passive relationship of electricity company to the customers in the past. So I think, yeah, re- regulation play a good role to actually provide the link. And with a clear linkage within the policy, I think we can see the response of, of the of the, uh, of the the customers. It's the same for the uh, RE, uh, Renewable Energy in Malaysia. Uh, the government put out the policy, yeah, you actually can generate, uh, anybody can generate yourself through solar rooftop and you can sell back to the grid. Uh, so meaning that utility will buy back a certain uh, 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 price. So that provides also the linkage of say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not generating and using RE. If there is any extra, I can help my neighbors. That kind of, uh, of policy driven, I think uh, it, it may not be yet comprehensive, but I think it's, it's coming uh, one by one. That's all my perspective. 
if I can pile on, I, I think policy is part of it, but it's only going to move us so far. Unfortunately, um, we also have a, a very big segment of customers that fall into the skeptic category. They're either skeptical about environmental change or sustainability, believe it or not, or they're skeptical that they have any say or any impact in making a difference. And that segment, believe it or not, is between 30 and 40% of, of, the, of the global population. And policy alone is not going to move those customers. We're going to have to come up with one of the most sophisticated ecosystems of, of influencers that are going to um, participate in, in the messaging around this. They're not going to believe the government. They're not going to believe their utility. They're not even going to believe academia. They're going to turn to social media and other crazy places for their, their insights. And we need to adopt a much more sophisticated approach to communicating the value propositions to these customers, because right now they're not moving and they're actually resisting this. At, at, and they're, you know, literally a third of the entire customer base. Yeah. And, and I would just, from my side, I would say, so on the policy side, the good thing is that the direction is very clear. So we have a binding target for 2050 of climate neutrality. So that that's clear and in industry, you can invest in that. Some of the challenges we see is obviously in democratic societies, you have elections, you have changes of government. And often before elections, there's a rolling back of measures. And we've seen that in many member states. So that's not good for industry. It's not good for investment. And that's why it's very important to engage with the population because if the population is on board, then there's less uh, incentive before elections for people to say, I'm going to roll back an X, Y, Z. So that's why it's so important to engage with the, with the population. I think we also have to have a, a good understanding of who our customers are in the future. Over 50% of all of the consumers globally are millennials and Generation Z. And what they want from their energy experience is actually quite different than the, than the, uh, the populations that, that preceded them. They want more control. They want more access. They want more information. And are we designing products and services to appeal to the new generations? Or are we running the mistake of designing products and services for the existing customer base? We could be making a big mistake if we're not really focusing on the new generation. But you also can't ignore the existing generation. You need to take them with you as well. So that's, that's what the right. challenge is. That's right. Any more questions? Uh, one down the front here. Hi, Thierry Morty from uh, EY. So Greg, you said that there is a lot of things that we can learn from other industries and other sectors. And I know TNB and Octopus Kraken are, I think, leaders in, in what they do in terms of customer. But if there would be one thing that you could steal from an other industry, what would that be? And which industry would that be? You stole my last question. Um, yeah, lessons from other yeah. industries. That well, well, Terry, we can we could be inspired first by telecom. Uh, if you look at telecommunications, mobile telecommunications over the last 15 or 20 years, there was a, a cycle that we went through. We, we introduced a myriad of different products and services, too many, confused people, customers didn't understand, they, they created a lot of inertia. Then we went through a series of, 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 uh, of years where we created incredibly complex pricing, incredibly complex. We believe that pricing signals of every imaginable favor would change customer behavior or add value. Now, if you look at what's happened, we've made it a incredibly simple, very simple 
products and services, very understandable, um, bundled capabilities, set and forget capabilities. We've taken a lot of the complexity out of the process. So if we learn from that industry, let's not make the mistake of over complex, making an over complex pricing process or over complexing the number, complexing a new verb, uh, the, the products and services. Let's focus on something very simple. Let's save time, save money, save the planet. And let's do it with the most understandable process possible that requires the least amount of effort on behalf of customers. Then we have a chance of moving the, the majority of customers. If we go down the path of over-designing and over making everything's too complex, we're gonna leave a lot of customers behind. Any other sectors? Yes. Well, first say, Greg stole my answer on telecom. telecom. So we would, There's uh, a lot of it. Yeah. We, we would agree with it. One other sector we can maybe learn from as well is the, the food sector, because they have very good labeling, you know, of, of products. And in Europe, you have for the building stock, you have your A to the E or F, but I think that can be applied more broadly throughout the energy sector with kind of different solutions. So that that's one thing we would like to see kind of introduced, introduced more. But from the food sector, that was led by regulation and policy, was it not? Yes, it's in EU regulation. You have to come with a, a labeling for the, sure. the food. So does, it does the same need to happen for the energy sector? Does it need to, the regulation need to improve labeling and how do we go around doing that? That's something we would be favorable towards, yes. Please. I think there's definitely something to be said as well about innovating before the market is ready for it. And I think iPhone is a really good example of that, that when it was first launched as a touchscreen phone, it had a bunch of apps that was not necessarily demand-led. At the time, a lot of people weren't using it and other companies like Nokia chose not to bring something out like that because there was no demand for it. And then if you fast forward, look at where it is now. So I definitely think that piece around the market might not be ready, but if you build it and it's a good product, then it will catch up in the future. Uh, any more questions? Yeah, David, maybe. Uh, oh yeah, please, please. Sorry, no, my guy, yeah, please. I'm, I'm the last, so I think everyone oh, uh, stole my answer. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, looking back, uh, probably I would say uh, in the past, if you asked me the same question probably five years ago, I would say uh, something that the tel we can learn from the telco industry or we are lagging respect to the telco industries. Uh, but today, I think we have come to that level. Okay. I think we have come to that level. And I think uh, today it is for this industry is actually to provide the leadership rather than the followership. Sure. So I think it is, it is, it is at our call to actually provide it. And, and for Tanaga, you know, we, we, we also scan the, the world and uh, we see company like Octopus mm -hmm. are the one that's actually leading the world mm -hmm. within the industry and across the industry. So I think it's time probably the, this is that industry to provide the leadership for the others. Disappointingly, that's all we have time for today. My thanks go to Charlotte, Magat, Killian, and Greg, the whole team at EY, the AV team, and to our lovely audience here in Dubai. And for those listening at home, you can share your thoughts on social media. Thank you all so much for listening to Talking Transitions, and we'll see you again next time.